It's a good old-fashioned Friday night temperature check at Marvel Stadium, or at least that's the case for one of tonight's two teams. If you think you have a good handle on Collingwood's premiership credentials, what do you make of the sixth-placed Western Bulldogs two months from finals? They were two and three, lost their ne- won their next five, lost their next three, then have won their last two either side of the bye. The carrot tonight is not just potentially a spot in the top four, it's surely broader acceptance the Dogs can compete with the very best. Jordan Ngoi is back for Collingwood. Scott Pendlebury needs 14 disposals to become the most prolific ball winner of all time, while Ed Richards' recovery from a hamstring strain has him ahead of schedule, and he'll also play tonight. And to top it all off, yesterday at midday, Marvel Stadium sent out a tweet. It declared this game is sold out in capital letters. It's Friday night, round 17, Western Bulldogs versus Collingwood for elders when listing your property. Think elders real estate and for tyre power, kicking goals with quality Falcon tyres. Tom Morris with you, Pies assistant Scott Selwood not far away, and Jared Healy is in the back row. Evening to you, Jared. Tom, great to have you. Okay. What gives you that feeling, Dan? Well, well, there you go. I can hear myself now. Um, That's not great, I might add. (laughs) Uh, Look, a few, uh, you know, and and out to um, my check, but also, the game that the doggies play, they just might be able to upset the flow mm. of Collingwood. So my check out is a bit of a hurt, but they are a clearance team, the doggies. Even though the numbers this year aren't suggesting that they have been as good as previous years, they've held a couple back. McRae's been held back a little bit. And up forward, it's just at the right opportune time that Hugo Hogan is hitting his straps. Mm. You know, what he provided last week was fantastic. I think we've pressed the right buttons now. I've flicked the right switch. <laughs> Try him again. Jared, welcome. Yes. We're working on this. We're up and about. Uh, very firstly, can I just say deeper sympathies to you and your family. Lost your mum uh, not long ago. So uh, appreciate well that. Thank you, Jared. Absolutely, you, Jared. Tommy. Uh, it was tough times. But uh, good to have you back at work. It's a big game. I think we all know what Collingwood is. We're not quite sure in my mind what uh, the Bulldogs are. I think I've got a handle on where they're at, but I'd love to see them actually consolidate their bona fides by having a win. Now, it's never going to be easy to beat Collingwood, but when you've won uh, so many games this season, you might just uh, enter into a little bit of a dull patch. They're not looking like that. They just got beaten a couple of weeks ago by Melbourne, and only on the last kick of the day, even though probably the scoreboard flattered them to a large degree. But uh, on this fast track, they're mm. a fast side. They're the fastest side in the competition. We're on the fastest track in the competition. Oh, gee, it could be exciting. I hope the Bulldogs are up for this fight because uh, we don't want to go away from here just uh, obliterating another no. one from the Premiership race. And as we saw in Leeds last night, a fast track makes for entertaining sport. Oh, doesn't it? <laughs> Indeed. We'll talk about, talk about Mitch Marsh a little bit later on. Scotty Selwood, the Collingwood assistant, is on the boundary line. Thanks for joining us on AFL Nation. Scott, big game for you guys, as is every game. You've got great momentum. Uh, how's the week been? Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Um, relatively normal week this week. Obviously, we do lose a couple of key personnel up forward, but... Um, we're looking forward to this challenge. The dogs are a real threat this year, and we think uh, it's, it should be like a finals-like intensity uh, going into the game. How do you replace the structure up forward, Scott? We've looked to go like for like a little bit. So yep. Billy Frampton will play forward majority of the nine, and he'll pinch it in the ruck as well with uh, um, Biz, Big May. So we're going to try and tag team them on English and, and go down that path. But we're really just looking for a contest from them. So one thing Brody does really well is he crashes a lot of packs, mm. brings the ball to ground, and then that's when our smalls get to work. So it's really more so just about creating a contest and actually trying to kick goals and give it, giving ourselves a chance to put pressure on in our forward line and owning the ball in our half. Scotty, probably already know the answer to this, but we'll ask anyway. The, all the times and the measurements, Geordie Dugowie is um, up to speed. He hasn't waned any in the last three weeks. No, he's good to go. <laughs> We're looking forward to um, him playing a full game, and um, he's looking forward to being back out there. Even up until when he did have the suspension, his, his game time was really high, and his impact on games is obviously as good as what we've seen. It So getting him back in the side is just such a massive plus for us. An opinion 
from you. I'm going to ask you anyway, mate. So <laughs> you can say no comment. Do you have the best team or do you have the best method? Oh, that's a good question. I mean, I think they can go hand in hand at times. I think we, we've got the right guys playing the right roles with the right system. So mm -hmm. that gives us a chance to, to win majority of games or put ourselves in a chance to get the process right a lot of the time. But um, really, where we think the dogs are in very similar position that they can do that. And they're really potent when they go out forward. And yeah, I know they haven't been kicking their goals, but they've been having a lot of shots. So it only takes one straight night. And, and they have upset us the last couple of times we've played. So, yeah, I agree with that. The, the dogs are better than where they are placed. They're better than what they've handed out on a few occasions this year. Of that system, and you say we've got the right players in the right position for the system, who surprised you the most? You thought, gee, we're getting such good value out of that player and they're playing their role so well, um, we, we can't do without them. Yeah, you could sort of go anywhere, really. I mean, the one thing that's a bit of a dead spot a lot in AFL for mine is the wings. And being able to have some wingers in steel side bottom and, uh, and Josh Dacos, although side he's out, he comes back in next week. Yep. Being able to generate in those spots and being able to have some offensive weapons as well as defence, um, instead of just being really structured, boring players, which I was and I played that role, <laughs> that uh, it gives us the opportunity to try and attack through them too. So I, I probably think uh, their development over the years, over, over the last couple of years in particular, has been really strong and been really consistent in those spots. Scott, uh, the antithesis, I suppose, to structured and boring is the Bont. He's the Bulldogs' best player by a long way. Who do you reckon is their second best player? It depends how you give them a look. I mean, one big focus for us tonight is trying to help the stoppage set up. So yep. they, they, although they're not scoring a heap from uh, from stoppage uh, from stoppages, they're owning a lot of territory and giving their forwards their best chance. So, yeah, Jamara looks really dangerous for mine, but mm. also the guys coming up. I mean, we're really wary of Libo. We've got some go-tos for Libo if he gets off the chain. And um, and also, obviously, the Bont is, is flying at the moment. So we'll look to send Pendles to his body as much as possible around stoppages and and try and work off him after that. But he's he's a beast at the moment. He's going unbelievably well. Indeed, he is. Uh, looking forward to Dermot's uh, editorial on ruck work or ruckman down the track. He's, uh, <laughs> he's come in with steam coming out of his nose. But I'm interested in, you, in the way you play Tim English. Um, Tim English, at various stages, has probably statistically been the best ruckman in the competition yet. I think a lot of clubs are starting to work him out and just bodying him and uh, robbing him of his influence I mean, if you let him become a ruck rover, he'll rip you apart. But uh, if you take his body work away or, or become physical with it, it seems that he loses confidence around the ground. And I suspect that wouldn't miss you. You don't miss too much down at the pies. No, well, he's, that's the thing we scouted was his ability. It's not so much about his hit-outs. It's what he does next. And um, one thing we saw a little bit of, he's trying to get the ball around the ground. And if it's in the back half and he's trying to play like a mid, we're quite happy to let them... Uh, and chip the ball around and him be in that position instead of being an aerial threat down the line. So we're okay if he's getting a lot of the footy in the back half trying to act like a, a seventh defender as long yep. as we can man it up when, we, when we're going back inside 50. So hopefully they're kicking it back to our tools, but that's going to be the challenge for us tonight to make sure we take out all their marks and they have to kick it back to our tools. Scott, uh, how much do you spend at Collingwood training these days on fundamentals? And I ask that question because... Last night, I reckon the Swans lost the game because of a handball from Malikan. He, he wouldn't go with his left hand. He went with his right hand and turned to pressure. And yet I've seen Collingwood, and I watch you very closely, almost to the point, almost to a man, you handball with the right hand at the right occasion. Even Mason Cox switches the ball from his right hand to his left hand to handball across his body. It seems like it's a more important and highly drilled uh, or valued element of the game, just pure fundamentals of the pies. Yeah, I do love that you picked that up, to be honest with you. It's something that we do work really hard at. And when Fly came in, within his first year, he did say that was going to be our biggest improvement or where it would come from last year. And there was other parts to our game that was really strong. But it was definitely the fundamentals of the game. And, and we talk a lot about the, what the fundamentals actually look like. So whether it's an up and out in an offensive play or whether it's an open field tackle or closed field tackle and how you do those type of things. Or if you're in tight, you run and draw and you shape, uh, you shape options and how to do that so especially last week we put a massive fun uh, we put a massive amount of work into our fundamentals um, into our hands program and we saw it come to fruition against Gold Coast and it's going to be the plan again tonight if we're out in open space hopefully we can use our hands to break through and use our shape but um, every session we do we do uh, four blocks of four minutes on really specific fundamentals and 
we break it down into really specifically in terms of what they get, what type of mm. ground balls they get most often, and treat that. So the mids are getting a lot of ground ball stoppages and a lot of long down line stoppages instead of just doing generic ones off the fence. I'm not surprised at your answer because it is just so obvious. Just watching you, somebody who's got an interest in the the fundamentals of the game as I have. A tennis coach once said to me, uh, "What you can't do." Technically, you can't do tactically. And I see the mistakes all the time, and it's pretty clear. You're the best side in the comp, and you're the best side technically as well, which is, I think, a credit to Fly and, and you coaches as a group. Yeah, I mean, Fly was the one that really drove the standards, and he, he highlights it each Monday and Friday, and he will highlight it again tonight as to how we're going to win the game. And it, it comes back to that stuff for us. It's on our one-page uh, game plan spread, the, mm. the fundamentals, and it's it's not a little picture. It's it's one of the main ones. So um, it's part of what we do, and and we the the guy. It's to the players' credit; they value it as much as what we try and teach it. Scotty, I imagine you would have played on Scott Penderbury a fair bit when you were at West Coast. Uh, he's going to break the record tonight if he gets 14 disposals on the most touches ever for an AFL player, overtaking Robert Harvey. Um, tell us what it's like seeing him as an opponent, but also coaching him at Collingwood. Yeah, I did help him get to this figure. I did say to him uh, a lot of the times he had about 35 to 40 touches on me, so um, I helped him get there a little bit quicker than what he needed to, but um, he's incredible. Like, I mean, to have a guy like that in your club that's um, so driven and motivated, they're rare talents, obviously, but more so the attitude that he's got and the, his willingness and want to get better every single day and, and walk into the club and find different ways to to get that little inc- incremental gain in what he does. So um, I'm just so so happy for all the accolades that he gets, but at the same point, same time, he deserves every single one of them and hopefully there's some more to come at the end of the year. Just one last quick one. I've got my spies everywhere, Scott, and my, I'm told very reliably that last week while you were up on the Gold Coast, you had a run as well. How did you go in the Gold Coast <laughs> half marathon? I did do the Gold Coast half marathon. It was a good event. Um, Dad was a marathon runner back in the day, so I'm slowly transitioning into that. But uh, I don't think any time you won't be calling me Kane Corns anytime soon. <laughs> I, I think Jeremy ran 3:43s according to the leaderboard. Is that about right, Scott? A little bit quicker than that, but yeah, I'll take that. Yeah, about 3:40s. So Dad, um, Dad ran a marathon in about 2:40, and uh, wow. keen to keen to break that one day. Hopefully, so can't let the old man be the. Uh, the best runner in the family. And Tiffany wasn't yours or your brother's weight when he ran 240. <laughs> no, he was about 55 kilos. I'm still 93, so I'm, <laughs> I'm still carrying a little bit more around than him. Scott, you must have bl- been blown away when your recruiting department turned up with five players, all of whom, with the exception of McStay, I assume, which is a surprise given he was the most costly, have made an amazing impact on your footy club. Tom Mitchell, talking about fundamentals, Tom Mitchell has had a great season. Bobby Hill's playing the best footy and one of the best small forwards in the competition. You've already mentioned uh, Billy Frampton has played at both ends of the ground and in the middle and he, an amazing pickup for you. And Oleg Markov is also playing his best footy. It's, uh, it's been an incredible job by your recruiting personnel. They have done a great job, right? He's doing the list management role as well. And the way we try and do it without giving too much away, we do break down the positions into really specific trades. So we do want to meet his game player off the halfback flank, and we notice if we wanted to move Nick throughout the year, there's not many people on our list. So try and go on and try and find that like for like that's mature. Yep. And Leggy fits that mould, and then all of a sudden you try and find this quick, this quick intelligent forward that, that fits into those traits, and Bobby Hill pops up. So you're putting in play, you're putting in players in the right roles, as I was saying before, that suits the way we play, and you get to see the best of them all the time, and um, and then you get Tommy Mitchell where it's just. Get your hands dirty at the front of the contest all the time, mate. And we don't need you getting 40 touches anymore. It's just literally get your hands dirty at the front of the contest over and over again. It's, it's a really simple game for him now. Scott Selwood, appreciate your time. Good luck tonight and good luck for the Melbourne Marathon on October 15. <laughs> Thanks, Craig. Appreciate it. Scott Selwood, Collingwood assistant coach. He's uh, pretty good when he, he's downplaying his three-minute 40. 40s per K it's a good for run. a half marathon. It's a good run. Well, you know what makes it even better? He still weighs 93 kilos. <laughs> yeah, try and find me a distance runner who's yeah. over 85. Mm. Do, do you agree with what Jared said about the fundamentals and how not enough uh, clubs aren't paying enough focus to handballing with a non-preferred hand, for example? From uh, absolutely. When you, game. Um, there is, you see good players do something. And it becomes accepted. So Dustin Fletcher, uh, Dustin Fletcher, uh, uh, Dusty Martin can banana kick the ball on the run. He prefers to do that than kick on his left foot. But he's kicking at goal all the time. So when he's doing that type of skill, it becomes acceptable for lesser players to not use their non-dominant side. But if I'm 
seeing a backman under pressure, and I'm leading down the narrow side of the wing, and he forces his kick doesn't come to me and goes inboard, and I've got to go after it, and I get my head punched in because of it. If he's only got one option to kick on his non-dominant to get it to me, I want him to do that. I don't want him stopping, propping and kicking one around the corner or kicking a banana to a leading player. Mm. Those fundamentals have to come into it. Just because the great players can get away with some things doesn't mean that the rest of the league can, can come about and do you know, similar uh, styles of, of disposal. The great players, though, have got fundamentals most of the time. And we'll see it tonight out here. The ball will hit the deck a lot of times. The rocket handball doesn't get used. The shovel gets used all the time. And players understand sometimes they're down on, they're down on time, so they innovate. But it's the kids that come into the competition, and even the older guys who are in the competition, who haven't got the fundamentals. It just makes me go back to what is going on at under-12s, 14s, 16s and under-18s, particularly the elite programs. They shouldn't be able to play elite programs if they haven't got a licence to play. And that is, can you do this on your left? Can you do this on well, your like right? like a checklist. Absolutely. A checklist to a see che- whether you can A licence to graduate. <laughs> if you're going to graduate from the under-16 under elites into the under-18s, You'd want to be elite. Mm. And if you can't handball both sides, you're not elite. So to put that in perspective, kicking under pressure, uh, to kick on my left foot, let's talk about, say, in my era to Jason Dunstall. On my non-dominant side, I probably, let's make an estimation, had kicked the ball 10,000 times on my left foot by the time I'd played league football. And the amount of times I kicked to a leading player, Dunstall, Curran, whoever, that I kicked on the left foot and got it away cleanly was worth it. And I reckon it would have been 10 to 15 times in my career. But the 10,000 practice kicks were worth getting the 10 right mm. in AFL. So when did this change, Jared? When did this focus change? I don't know the answer to that. I, I think... I think as the game got more pressurised, and it's certainly more pressurised now congestion. than it has been, and congestion, yeah. coaches made the mistake, and I'm talking junior coaches, of trying to teach quickness, speed. Mm. And I've seen, that, I've seen it in junior tennis when I was observing that. Some coaches teach speed, whereas the best coaches still teach fundamentals. Mm. And you cope with the speed with the fundamentals underneath. You adapt, but you always have to have the fundamentals there. And it's staggering to me that coaches I see uh, at junior level are coaching the shovel. In and out, in and out, in and out. Speed, speed, speed. But if you've got the rocket coming in and out, then it's a much better handball and it doesn't go to ground. You count how many times the ball goes to ground today, unpressured, uh, for elite for elite footballers, it's, it staggers me that you know, we're 35 years on from when left and right handball was absolutely dra- you know, drilled down your, fo- down yep. your throat. And yet, uh, whilst the speed is great and, the, you know, the in-and-out handball and congestion is good, there's just too many non-pressured handballs still going to the deck. We've got Mark Webb, who's on the boundary. He's Western Bulldogs' assistant coach. And coincidentally, Jared and Derm, he's also the stoppages coach. So he's the best person to speak Ooh. to about this. I don't know if you caught the back end of that conversation, Mark. Welcome to... AFL Nation, how much time do you spend on those fundamentals that Jared and Derm and others think have been neglected in the game? Yeah, definitely we do. We spend a lot. So we'll probably have one or two sessions off-field as well where we do a lot of handball, specifically around what you talked about, changing distance, changing angles, but uh, with a bit more time to get the technique right and then the the change-up will be in sessions during the week. So you have two sessions where the speed and the intensity will go up. But combining both is an important part and, and also the left and right hands and, and certainly guys not just sticking to their preferred hands really important as well. Mark, are you surprised at how many kids come into the game that aren't proficient both sides of the body, hand and foot? A little bit, but I know being through the system with the underaged um, players it is a tough one because there's such a focus on multi-sport now so a lot of the the kids that do come through are playing probably three or four different sports and Mm. the time allocation and the time 
specifically to the game is diminished in regards to yeah that that sort of uh, ability for for kids to to taste different sports so i have seen it i do understand that probably when generations before the focus on on aussie's rules was such a great thing and, and a lot more at junior level and and obviously on the streets and in the parks that uh, you got that repetition can i ask you uh, mark dermot here how are you going yeah, good thanks Jeremy. can i ask you Jack McRae, uh, yep. watched him over the last few weeks. I've seen him go from 20-something attendances at the centre bounce to, to nine, to one, to none, to none. It's, it's been a dwindling sort of uh, parade for him. When does he get his adventures back, you know, to where we expect to see, for, you know, like 25 or so attendances in the middle of the ground at the centre bounce? Yeah, we've been working different things. Obviously, uh, the drop-offs sort of come around when Adam Trelaw's come back as well. So we've had a different mix and, and Adam coming in and, and getting that balance right in there. Definitely again tonight... I think you, we look at it and the ability for him to get in there, he'll definitely get in a, uh, a bit more again tonight. So it hasn't dropped off. I think it's just getting our right mix in there against the right team. So um, the teams that would challenge you and, and their ability to spread outside, trying to get the mix of different types of players in there to complement that. And, and that's not saying Jack's not that right player, it's, but it's more for us trying to make sure we get the balance in there on the type of players we have. And, and to really, to Jack's credit, to his ability as a forward in the last few weeks to impact around the contest and then get forward and kick goals has been a real plus for us. So uh, that's another string he's brought to his bow. So, yeah, he's an exceptionally intelligent footballer, isn't he? He's going to, he's going to be damaging wherever he goes. You, you spoke about looking at the opposition and getting the match-up right. If you're kind enough for, the, for us listeners and uh, people who love to learn about the sport, what is the type of match-up that you require against the Magpies? Now, that's a tough one. Obviously, many sides have struggled with that. The, the challenge being over the last few weeks is definitely their versatility. So the Dacos brothers have been playing half-back, wing inside. So they've been really proficient and, and certainly their ability to uh, change their mix inside. So Crisp has been at half-back and then on ball. Um, and then, obviously, Adams. Pendlebury, Adams and, and the like. So uh, Paddy Lipinski. So... They've been working on volume of different types of players in there. I think it's our specific ability within that to control the contest and not get too much, too phased around who's the specific player in there, but play our system a lot more. Um, whereas at different weeks, you might have a greater understanding of more specifically what players will be in there consistently, and then you can sort of adapt your matchups around that. So the challenge will be this week to play our way, but make sure that um, the players that are rotating through there aren't pulling us apart. I look at the, the game and we see players and they get stats and they get goals and that. And I look deeper than how that comes and, you know, say, oh, he got 20-something. He kicked three goals. He looked good. He kicked good. Yada, yada. I look at how it happened. And to me, last week, and it's been a progressive build, but last week was Jamara's biggest step because he took towering, commanding, uh, contested overhead marks in the forward line. He's been opportunistic until this point in time. He's led to the right spots and he's, he's worked his man sideways, east-west quite well in the forward line. But last week I, I stood back and went, wow, that is the biggest... It's a wow game, wasn't it? Oh, it was the biggest unearthing of the talent we've been wanting to see for some time. Did you guys feel that way or, or, or have you already there? Yeah, I think there's definitely been periods over the last two years where he's been able to do that. Not probably as consistently within the four quarters of the game, but I think we've seen pretty similar things. He's worked really hard on his one-on-one uh, -on -one contest, but also his leading ability to get out to space, but also the last bit's been that uh, marking application there early, and he's been working on that. So to his credit, he works hard with Aaron Norton. Mark, we've got to wrap you up there. Thank you very much for no joining problems. us. We've got a hard break. Good Thanks, luck tonight. Mate. This is the Hyundai Kona. It's here bigger and bolder. Book a test drive today. Visit hyundai.com.au or your local showroom. This is AFL Nation pre-game show for Beaumont Tiles. Huge bathroom sales. You're listening to AFL Nation for Elders Real Estate and Tyre Power. Winter Safety Sale. You're listening to AFL Nation for Elders Real Estate and Tyre Power. Winter Safety Sale. 
Marvel Stadium is going to be full tonight. They think potentially 50,000 people for the first time since 2012 at an AFL game. It's Collingwood versus the Western Bulldogs for AFL Nation. Tom Morris, Jared Healy and Demet Brereton. What are we expecting tonight, gents? Derm thinks that the Western Bulldogs are a chance. Jared, do you agree? I think yeah, they're a chance. They're in the, uh, they're in the eight. The pies are uh, flying. Every, you know, everybody turns up and they're a chance. Mm-hmm. Uh, am I tipping them? No, I'm not. <laughs> but uh, I hope they're uh, right in it at the, end of the, uh, at the end of the last quarter because uh, we need a decent crack. We need a, an entertaining game. The Bulldogs need to, I think, remind themselves as much as anybody else that they're in this for a fight. I'd like to see Bailey Smith. I'm going to focus on Bailey mm-hmm. Smith tonight. Been a fair bit of set about Bailey, but uh, quite simply, he's been moved into the middle. That's one of the reasons McRae's on the outside. But he doesn't hurt you enough with the football. I mean, the numbers tell you that. Uh, he wins it pretty well. He, he runs hard, but he's just not impacting on the scoreboard. So if the Bulldogs are going to be at their, you know, almost grand final best of a few years ago, Bailey Smith, when you think back, was one of those players that uh, took them almost to the promised land. But Goals used to come from his touches, and they're not at the present time. So it's good to see Ed Richards back in the side, mm. so you'd reckon there'll be some flow coming out of that back line. And Eugle Hagen, there's plenty to look forward to for the Bulldogs. There's a lot of uh, organic growth coming. I'll be interested in English. If they're to win, English has to uh, be in the top three or four players on the ground, and he needs to reassert himself under some pressure. Somewhere between now and the 23rd game, someone will win a game against Collingwood. Mm. The odds just suggest it. Mm. They, it just seems that way. The way they play, if there is a good team which gets a good night, gets a good run of luck, plays it the right way, doesn't allow... If you sit back against Collingwood and look at them and say, I'll mind my man, mm. uh, Moore comes off his man 150 metres away, um, intercept marks over the top of a, a, a pair of opponents and streams forward. Everyone else streams out with them and they outnumber on the outward flow. If you sit back and say, I'll oh, mind my man, well, they just run the field and share it. There, there's a wave that comes forward at you. What happened? The best win against them was, was Brisbane way back in the real early stages of the season. They just said, they're coming forward in waves. Let's be as bold. Let's be as risky and come forward and meet that wave and interrupt the wave. And they did, and they broke it up. Mm. And then when they won their fair share of the ball, they were able to go back against the Magpies. And the Magpies found themselves, because they're so hard running forward, they find themselves with two opponent, two defenders trying to mine three forwards. And that might, that, I won't say definitely will. There's every chance that could happen against a good team between 7-10 tonight and the end of round 23. By and large, I think Collingwood will win the premiership the way they're going. But somebody somewhere will get hold of them and get a, a, a eke out a win. Well, when I said get hold, they might win by 10 points, yeah. <laughs> something like that. That's how good Collingwood are going. We're, we're looking at get hold of is a single-figure margin win against them. Back when Dermot and I were playing, a fair majority, a fair percentage of goals used to come from balls coming out of the defensive 50. As that dried up, 100 goal four forwards dried up. There's one side in the competition now bringing that back in, but because of uh, the way we play forward of the ball, you're not going to ever see a 100 goal four forward. Mm. But there's one side getting a large contribution of their goals now from the back 50, and it's Collingwood. They got 11 goals last week from their back 50. Most sides in the, that have won the Premiership over the last 17 years since Champion Data have been doing their research, most of the goals come from forward half turnovers. So this is an extraordinary turnaround under two years with the fly. He's now got the forward half game going, but often they don't need it because they're just pinging it from the back line unfettered so going it's through. it's by design? Oh, absolutely it's by design. Played. I mean, you've got the Collingwood Corridor. Yeah. If you, if you don't block that up, they'll just, go, they'll just pick you off from full back and go bang, 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 bang. And it was the biggest slight last week on Stewie Jew and the Suns. Mm. They just had no concept of blocking up the corridor. And that game was over 20 minutes in. Yep. And so that's going to be really interesting to see how the Bulldogs approach it. They've been told by the whole competition that the, the corridor, the Collingwood Highway or the Collingwood Corridor must be blocked. I mean, obviously, the coach would know that anyway. 
But it's just interesting to see that uh, the numbers are now telling you that they are playing a totally different way and scoring a totally different way to the Premiers of the last 15, 17 years. And you spoke about the fast track under the roof here at Marvel Stadium. Surely this is an advantage to them as well. Their precise skills are even more precise in these sort of conditions. Yeah, if I was playing Collingwood I'd, and I had a choice of grounds, it wouldn't be this one. And it is the Western Bulldogs' home game. <laughs> but they've only played here once this year, the, the Collingwood yeah, but, Football but Colling, Club. Collingwood's a bit like India. Every home ground is, is Collingwood's home That's ground. That's true. Even Metricon Stadium last week That's when they right. couldn't get the flights uh, up there. I just saw Ash Johnson out on the yes. ground. Have we, have we ever seen... Oh, they're probably sure. Surely there would be, but... How humorous was it to see Ash Johnson against the Frankston Dolphins last week when he's turned around and showed the ball to the crowd <laughs> and taken off? He showed it to the crowd exactly where myself, Slug and Horny used to stand on the wing at Frankston <laughs> Dolphins and we used to rag the opposition. One time I jumped the fence and my jumper got hooked right on that spot and I was hanging on the fence and they started yelling trying to get the police to I actually had a ticket to get in but I couldn't be bothered walking around so I jumped the fence I was hanging there and oh they are they are relentless that wing crowd at Frank's and I can just imagine what they were giving to Ash Johnson and then when he showed the ball and he got run down they would have been it's it's the south end of the bay's version of the old animal enclosure at Moorabbin. Oh, it's fantastic. If there's one person that knows Frankston, Jared, it's Derm. <laughs> yeah. And I was going to say your Frankston Dolphins because they've got a special spot in your heart. Yeah. Johnson, of course, yeah. back in tonight. Uh, he's come back in and so has Jordan Degoe. Braden Maynard out with a shoulder. And the one you discussed before, Brody Myacek out with a hamstring. Trent Bianco, who hasn't played seniors this year, will be the sub after some strong VFL form. Yeah, Brody Myacek is a very underrated player. Probably not within Colligan ranks, obviously, but no. just around the competition, whenever you're on Talkback Radio and you're taking phone calls about Collingwood, everyone always says we need to get a key forward. They don't need to get a key forward. Their forward line, I think, acts magnificently. You don't think a key, a key forward would make them better? Well, they've got McStay. Are you saying that Ben King would make them better? I'm not sure they would. I mean, really? how, many, how many goals is my check? I mean, there's only about 11 contested marks taken per team per game. Yep. So it's... It's not a fundamental requirement. I think Mason Cox does a great job. He's a target. As the coach we just heard, Scotty Sell, would say, he just wants the ball on the ground. This is a ground ball game. It's, it's, it's overrated, the, the aerial elements but, but of it. But it is pretty rare that a, a team wins a premiership without one key focal point, isn't it? Well, they've got a key focal point. It's Brody Majek. Yeah. I mean, how, how, how tall would Brody be? Be six foot two or three? Uh, it might be a touch tall, six, three and a half, four. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, but he's a worker. He's a worker, but I mean, you're six, one, and he plays in a half forward because you're a hard worker. 192 centimetres, whatever that is. I mean, that's big six, three-ish, yeah. 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 I mean, I, I, think it's, I think it's overwritten. I think it's underwriting or undervaluing his performance. Just shows you where you can get players. Pulled out of centre-half back of Port Melbourne yeah. under Gary Ayres half a dozen years ago. Yeah. And they got him to thinking, well, they, he might be, you know, third string uh, capabilities for coverage in defence. Mm. And they played him up forward. Bucks threw him up forward and the, the world is his oyster. Mm. Our Friday night presenting partner is Penrite Oil and your local Repco authorised service. This is AFL Nation pregame show for Beaumont Tiles, Ardex and RLL, RLA. Tyler specials are in store now. Up next, we're going to talk about oh, last itching. night's game, Richmond v Sydney and Dermot Brereton coming in off a long run, I'm told. You're listening to AFL Nation for Elders Real Estate and Tyre Power. Winter Safety Sale. You're listening to AFL Nation for Elders Real Estate and Tyre Power. Winter Safety Sale. It's Western Bulldogs versus Collingwood at Marvel Stadium. Welcome back to AFL Nation for Elders Real Estate and for Tyre Power Winter safety sale. We've discussed tonight's game. We'll do more of that a bit later on. But last night, it was a wet, wintry cracker at the MCG. Richmond by 13 points. Jared and Derm. Uh, Richmond are in the hunt still to play finals. They're just two points outside the eight. But your Sydney Swans, and your Sydney Swans, I'll say that as well, have <laughs> oh, uh, won six of just 16 games. They look just about gone, albeit not mathematically. What did you take out of the game? Oh Well, the Swans played well early and just couldn't go on with the job after half-time. As soon as uh, Richmond got on top around the, around the footy, mm. the Sydney uh, weren't capable of, of 
making the most of their rare opportunities, and they were rare given their you know their very low numbers going inside forward fifty. I admired the way Richmond came back. I thought uh, you know they they dug in. Uh, I don't think they're going to really create too much problems for anybody at the end of the season, but I do like the coach. I think the coach uh, hopefully gets an opportunity to go on next year. As far as the Swans are concerned, well, it's a disappointment going from a grand final to the eight, but I don't think all is lost. They've got a really good young group of uh, players that are fundamentally the base of the next challenge at the very top end. They've got a problem with those guys six foot five and over at both ends of the ground. Some yep. are developing, some are... Maybe not good enough. We're, st- we're still not quite sure. So they've got a ruck issue. They've got uh, an old ruckman and a, and a recruit that hasn't stood up enough, often enough, to say that he's the answer. So they've, they've got some issues, the Swans. But uh, the, the positive is they've got a lot of good young kids that can move the football. I thought Prestia was incredibly important for Richmond last night. He only had the, only had the 22 possessions, but I thought they were real quality around the ball when it was required. Uh, it was exactly what they needed. And the other thing, another thing that struck me about that game in the last quarter, on three separate occasions, I don't think I've seen him do it three times in his career, Luke Parker fumbled the ball. Mm. And I thought, that's an absolute rarity. Is that him... Is he inflexible through age or was he carrying an injury? But I just thought it was an absolute rarity for him to fumble the ball. His first half, he was near on best on ground. Second yeah. half, he really trailed off. Yeah, but, but but you can trail off, but you still have your ball handling. You mm. don't lose that unless you something is not allowing you to bend properly. Or He might have taken an injury there. But, yeah, he ended up with 28 possessions. But, he, yeah, that was surprising to me. But there, uh, uh, can I unload now? Wait one second. I'll oh, ask Jared one more thing on the Swans. Mate. So the Sydney Swans select Aaron Francis mm. as the sub because yep. they're worried about their tall stocks. And if one Tom McCartan or Buddy Franklin goes down, they want to have someone in reserve. But instead they lose Jake Lloyd. So Aaron Francis comes on for Jake Lloyd yep. on a wet night. On the other side of the coin, for Richmond, their sub works the other way. And they get a smaller player on for a taller player. Do you think this was a mistake by John Longmire to have Aaron Francis as a sub, knowing the conditions, having a taller player as a sub? No, I don't think that was an issue. I don't think that divided the game. They've got plenty of small players that could have pushed one further back when they've got... Uh, they ended up putting Tom McCartan into yep. the forward line. Mm. So they, they solved that problem pretty, pretty easily. Uh, I think the Swans are, are pretty well set for running players. I don't think that yep. separated the game. Good. Do, right, you think some team, do you think some teams just... The sub is the 23rd man picked. I think it varies from team to team, doesn't it? Yeah. The next person in versus the role they want to play. Yeah. I know so that Essendon liked Dyson Heppel as the sub earlier in the year because he's an experienced player. He's not necessarily an explosive player. Can go to either end. Yeah, yeah. But I just think the Swans picked what they thought was their 23rd. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think they wanted to drop him. No. Yeah. Long line didn't speak about he's that He's actually played pretty well over the last t- couple of months. He has. Now, Derm, okie doke. What do you got for us? <laughs> oh, thank you. Okay, now this really irks me, and and you know I. So I like Dills. He needs to make a decision. You know I. Andrew Dillon. Andrew Dillon. Uh, I'm friends with him. I'm friends with with Dan Richardson, who's a very good uh, senior person in his position. But somebody has to do something about this. We have a situation when we don't see like a head knock for a week or so. We forget about the issue. But there was an issue last night at the 57 second mark with time to go, which said our game has no idea what it is doing at this point in time. It, the, the umpiring for the most of the night was pretty good. Go ahead to the four minute 30 second mark, four minutes 30 remaining on the clock in the final quarter. That is one point the difference. Now, he's a brilliant player, and I reckon he did great things for his club. He's not going to be in there for a while, but Nankervis featured in all of them. And how an umpiring department can allow their umpires to adjudicate the same mistake over and over and over, and a fourth time over again is deplorable. Now, those two gents I mentioned, friends, they won't be happy with me saying this. What was this? the mistake? Okay, at the four minute 30 mark, uh, after Buddy Franklin snaps yep. at the punt road end and it doesn't get near the goals, then Curvis gathers the ball and he's tackled to the ground by Braden Campbell. 
He kind of half dives forward, sweats on the ball with Campbell tackling him from behind. I got, as best I can, my stopwatch out, timed him for two seconds, and after two seconds, he faked a weak handball out, and the umpire said, no, give it to me, no opportunity to get rid of it. He is, and at this stage, he is trying to drain the clock. Yep. So we have another ball up. Fast forward 58 seconds at the 3 minute 32 mark on the back flank on the northern side. Then Curvis gets the ball. McLean bear hugs him in a tackle from behind and he wraps him up around the elbow. So he's still cradling and holding the ball out in front of him. He can give a mini handball. He's on his feet. He can drop it to his feet. What he does, he jumps up and down without touching the ball with the fist and holds onto the ball and bobs his head as if I'm trying to get rid of it. And the umpire still refuses to accept that that is not a realistic attempt to get rid of the ball. And because the game's got one point and there is a hostile home crowd, he refuses to give a second free kick for a bloke who is a recidivist Brilliant player, love him as a player. He's a recidivist for trying to milk the clock. So he balls it up. Fast forward another 90 seconds to the 1 minute 50 second, 56 second mark. Now Curvis finds himself diving for the ball, lying on top of the ball. A light tackle is applied to his number area yep. because he's lying on the ball. And he's wanting to milk the clock now. So what does he do? He punches the ball between his chest and the ground and it goes nowhere. It drives further the into the ground. Punch. The old fake punch. And you know what the umpires do? All they up. fall for it. And they say, give it to me. No realistic opportunity to get rid of that. Pardon me, you dickheads. No one should fall for that. No one should fall for that. I'm sick of umpires just taking the weak, lame-assed attitude and going, the easy decision is a ball up. It was game on the line. They had to make a decision and call that boy any one of those three times for holding the ball. Fast forward to... The Jack Graham goal. Now, this is the worst one of the lot. It goes back to the middle. And then Curvis's idea is to milk the clock because they've got a seven-point lead now. He grabs the ball out of the ruck. McLean once again bear hugs him from behind, holds him long enough for a hold in the ball. He has two options to make then in the in the terms of Jeffrey Gleeson, what is his name, at the tribunal, yep, he can dump him and risk getting a suspension or he can show a duty of care and let him go. He holds him and I timed it once again, somewhere I can't get it accurately enough. He held him in a tackle and he didn't pin the ball to him for two to three seconds. And Dan Curvis, all he did was chainsaw his shoulders, pretended that he was trying to get rid of the ball. That's holding the ball, caught dead. So you know what the biggest insult on the umpire fraternity was? McLean actually called their bluff and showed the umpires what an abysmal, deplorable job they did. You know what he did? He let him go. Because that was long enough to say, mate, if you can't give holding the ball, then we're not playing by these rules. This is ridiculous, moronic, stupid umpiring. And so you know what happens? Dan Kervis goes, oh, my God, that's never happened in the history of my playing career. After being in a tackle, McLean let him go and appeals to the umpire. Dan <laughs> Kervis goes, he's let me go. He kicks it forward. That is the care and duty of, duty of care that Jeff Gleeson is talking that players should give. And he gets to kick the ball after being caught dead in a tackle. Four times the umpires who know football should have blown the whistle and put an end to it and said, you're milking the clock. That is not a realistic decision. It was, if somebody says, oh, they umpired it pretty well in the last four and a half minutes, I'll spew up. It was deplorable. That's Terry Wallace for you, Devin Yeah, Murray. you know what? I'll spew up a second time if they back up over it. It was, it was a, a shambles of an umpiring, which the umpiring was good for the night, but they refused to have the balls to make a decision in the last four and a half minutes. And I'm sick of it because if McLean dumps him to ground, mm. he gets weeks. 
So is that what we want our game to become? Mm. I'm sick and tired of this happening to our sport because they refuse to make a decision, refuse to blow the whistle on a player who is caught cold. We'll tackle that right after this. This is the all-new Hyundai Kona. It's here, bigger and bolder. Book a test drive today. Visit hyundai.com.au or your local showroom. You're listening to AFL Nation for Elders Real Estate and Tyre Power. Winter Safety Sale. You're listening to AFL Nation for Elders Real Estate and Tyre Power. Winter Safety Sale. This is AFL Nation. Marvel Stadium is filling up. Western Bulldogs versus Collingwood round 17. We're about 50 minutes away from the first bounce. Our Friday night presenting partner is Penrite Oil and your local Repco authorised service. Well, it's taken me a while to get my breath back after that from Dermot Brereton, who's gone on a very large rant or a monologue about the state of the AFL umpiring, specifically the holding the ball rule, Jared, and how much prior opportunity is given to players. What's your response? Well, I don't have to have a response. I looked to my right. I saw the 3RW box clapping. I saw the Triple M box <laughs> clapping. The ABC box were clapping. I think last night I sat there, particularly the one where um, the air was being punched out of the ball by yeah. uh, Nank the Tank. Yeah. And I thought to myself, it's seriously not going to fall for that. Mm. It didn't rile me quite as much because I've sort of gone through my uh, frustrations yep. with the push in the back so far this year. I've still got hope, Jerry. No, I, I, I have lost care, hope. Jim. But I... I, I firmly believe, and I, that I, last time I spoke to uh, Hoyne, the numbers of, of umpiring decisions are down this year by uh, about two or three, which is quite significant. We like that, though, don't we? Or I not? don't like it at all. If the free kick's there, pay yeah. the free kick. This yeah. nonsense about less free kicks, better football's crap. If the free kicks is there, you pay the free kick. Doesn't matter what the number is. But there's you... technically free kicks all the time. Technically free kicks. Technically there is, but the way we adjudicate, what the way the players know the sport. Yeah. I mean, players grow up playing footy in the schoolyard. Mm. They umpire themselves. Yeah. They know the free kicks when they give them. Occasionally, one out of every 50, they'll go, oh, come on, umpire, and you know I didn't. That's when they argue real hard. The one thing I'd say about this, Jared, is for football matters, Gillen's clocked off. Mm. Dills has to stand up here and find somebody for the football department to be the head of the department to actually lead that football department and the umpire and fraternity and lead them with some real strength and do something about these. Who? Because who? this... Well, fine. I, I don't Brennan, know who. They're waiting on Richmond to appoint a senior coach so Brennan Gale can discuss it with them. Jimmy Bartell is on the record as being very keen for the role. But this role has been vacant now since Brad Scott left... 11 months ago, 10 months ago. So, but this, but this is, this also plays into what they're talking about with the head injuries. Hayden McLean had every opportunity to drive Nankervis, caught him in a great tackle, to drive him into the turf, and he pinned both arms. But he held him for close to three seconds. The umpire didn't make a decision, and he lets him go because that's what the game's requiring of players now. That needs someone, and it made a mockery of the non-decision. That needs somebody of power and in a position of power to come out and say, we got that wrong. Mm. We need to tighten that so it plays into this don't dump them uh, syndrome. I think the more free kicks you pay, the less free kicks you have to pay. And I say I that, agree with that. If you if you go hard on hands in the back, push in the back, it'll disappear overnight. Mm. But it's just that we we allow backmen now to push guys out willy nilly, or forwards to push their backmen, or ruckmen to push their backmen out. I think they've tightened up on it to five degree. But if they tighten up on it. 100% it would go because yep. the coaches say, don't put your hand, don't push him, man. How did Jack Rewell get that uncontested mark mm. next to the goal square last night when Malikin was in front of him? Because he pushed him straight in the You're, back. You've been big on this for a long time. I have Jared. because it's there. For five yeah. years on the couch, I've shown the highlights, and yet the umpiring department does F all about it. I, I'm training a young kid at the moment who's an aspirant to play league footy. Yep. And he played against a very experienced. AFL player who's played 40 games, he's playing in the VFL and the bloke just kept pushing this young aspirant in the back under the footy. When it was hands on the back, each and every one of those was a free kick. 
how can you teach a young player to play in front when the experienced player knows the boundaries to completely push a younger player under the footy and exploit his knowledge of the how and why and the when you can get away with it if you're not going to penalise them for in the back. Look, there's, there's many, many areas. Last night was the last straw for me when I saw McLean <laughs> let go Nankervis in a tackle and he even turned around and said, that has to be long enough for a free mm. kick. And Nankervis just so surprised, kicked the ball forward mm. into the forward line. Do you know what? I, when I timed it, it was the 57-second mark they bounced the ball. You know when Nankervis got his boot to the ball? Nothing happened. The only play was bounce, yep. take it clean of the downcoming ball, tackled, held in a tackle for three seconds, and then the kick. The kick happened at 51 seconds. Mm. So for six seconds, nothing happened except a tackle. No other player, no interference, and the tackling player let him go. What a state of play we have that rule in. Do you think just uh, further to Big Nank, we're going to see at some stage a send-off stroke red card, yellow card? I don't think we'll ever have that in Australian rules, but by God, we, we've... On Toby Nankervis, co-captain of Richmond... This he was bit... fantastic last night too. Yes, I, I, know, I think he's a wonderful player. This is not a go at him because no. there are so many players who milk time. Understand off. that. Yep, yep, yep. But, but he has been cited by the MRO and he does have a trip to the tribunal this week for mm-hmm. his bump on Jake Lloyd, which is graded as careless conduct, severe impact and high contact. So that will be a minimum of three weeks. Once the they tribunal. send you to the tribunal and they find you guilty, you're automatically on three. Yeah, it's a three minimum. Do you expect it to be more, Jared? or do you think three is about right? No, I think it'll be three because I thought the go he should have been four mm-hmm. and uh, they gave him three. But I do, and I have been strongly of this view for a long time, that if you take somebody out like that and it's absolutely clear cut, mm. there's no there's no question about it, you're up a player and the opposition is down a player. Red card. Red card, off you go. You've been big on that since, I think, Andrew Gaff's incident. With oh, Brayshaw. Andrew Gaff, even going back, Barry Hall. Yeah. Uh, all the notable ones. They're very ones. different, though. They're a, not a bu- different at all. A bump is a football act that's gone wrong. That's not a football act, but, a- but Andrew Gaff and Barry Hall aren't football acts at all. They're just, they're... If, if you take a bloke out like that... So, Dugowie? Jordan Dugowie? Yeah, he'd be off. You'd be you'd, as long you'd, as there's no as long as there's no is there another player around who pushed him? Is it in a pack where there's if there's any sort of grey area? There's no. So you need a video review. You need a video so review. So does James Sicily get red carded for that tackle three weeks ago by the by the third umpire? I wouldn't have thought so because no. there were so many. But that's of, where it gets to me. That's where it gets grey. It is grey. Yeah. But if it's not grey, then it's a red card. Mm. Very interesting. Well, Toby Nankervis will miss the next three games, as we said, assuming that the tribunal upholds the suspension. And those games are against Hawthorne, West Coast. And the one that will hurt is against Melbourne, given their ruck situation with Gorn and Grundy. And the fact that Richmond are just two points outside the top eight and they need to win every game they can. You expect them to win the next two, but the Melbourne game will be the test. Well, not against the Mighty Hawks. <laughs> not against the Mighty Hawks. Hey, stay with us on <laughs> AFL. Us. Stay with us on <laughs> AFL Nation. This is the AFL Nation pregame show. Beaumont Tiles, huge bathroom wear and tile sale is on. Up next, we're going to talk about the Gold Coast Suns and what's going on with Clayton Oliver and Melbourne Footy Club. You're listening to AFL Nation for Elders Real Estate and Tyre Power. Winter Safety Sale. You're listening to AFL Nation for Elders Real Estate and Tyre Power. Winter Safety Sale. This is the AFL Nation pregame show. Beaumont Tiles, huge bathroom wear and tile sale is now on. We're getting nearer to the first bounce. The Western Bulldogs versus Collingwood at Marvel Stadium. Jared Healy, Dermot Burton and Tom Morris taking you through the next little while. We've discussed this game. We've talked about last night. But the big news of the week, certainly at the start of the week, was the Gold Coast Suns and Caroline Wilson's report that Stuart Dew's days are numbered. I've got two questions for you both. Should Stuart Dew be coach of the Gold Coast Suns in 2024? And will he be coach in 2024? Well, if he doesn't make the eight, there's a very strong chance that uh, if there is another option around there that uh, they'll have a look. Uh, should he be? Well, it probably de- depends on how he finishes. Yep. 
I mean, I, I think that uh, I think that they are at a very critical stage of of their development. They've got guys coming out the next year, so it's now or never really for the Suns with this group. So he's under the pump. They're not playing well enough. I don't think they play a style enough that's going to win them finals at the moment. It's very contest to contest to contest. There's no ball movement element to it, or not enough ball movement ball movement element of it. So I think that uh, Stewie's got some work to do on the on the way they're. They're gelling together as a group. But to be fair to him, you know, I think he's getting a fair amount out of, you know, I think they overrate their list to, to a degree. Yep. I, don't, I don't think they've got the depth of uh, many of the sides in the competition. Um, but you, there's no excuse for, they're a much better side than what they've shown over two of the last three weeks. Derm, they're 28 points, so they've won seven games, and they're just one game outside the eight. What's that put them? Seven and nine? S- seven and eight. Seven and eight. Oh, you've still got to play. Um, yes and yes. Yeah, okay. So you're back to Stewie G. I'm a Stewie G fan. Yep. Um, I have said this earlier in the week. I agree with Jared. We almost overrate their list because they got to a certain position last year we want incremental growth each year we expect every team to make incremental growth when was the last time we sat back prior to round one and said oh that club will incrementally go backwards this year Mm. we do it once every decade but isn't it reasonable with Gold Coast to expect that growth given the age profile yes yes and yes but what we've done is we look at their their profile we look at their list and I think their list is capable of playing finals. Mm-hmm. But it, as I explained this the other day, if you were to rate their list and say, when is the sweet spot? Let's say it's at a certain point in time where the age of their players is right um, for their meaningful young players coming through, played the right amount of games. There's still enough in the older players, Took Miller and even Big Levi still clunking them. King comes on and becomes an absolutely dominant figure. They ain't there yet. So I would say if that period in time is, let's say, 100 rating points out of 100, what do you reckon that list is at right now? My personal regard is it's at 65. I still think there is another 30% growth in terms of Raul, Anderson. But that's the sweet spot you're talking to. You're talking top four. King. Yeah, so, yeah. So, but surely we're... We but they're are, not ready for the top four. No, but are they ready for top eight? Because they're 13th now and they finished 12th last year. So they've plateaued in some... In some to some degree, they've plateaued. They won two very important games up north in con- conditions that suited them. No one expected them to beat Collingwood, but the way they lost was really poor. And it's, if Stuart Dew misses finals and Damien Hardwick is available, surely they're within their rights to consider whether that would be a better option. They never, had, never nicked one off first ball, Tommy? <laughs> you better have. <laughs> <laughs> they, had, they had a mare. Yeah. They had an absolute mare. Yeah. Don't hang them on that. They've had some bad losses. Gee, every team's had some bad losses. I just don't think their list, where it is in their journey, is ready to say they're a top four team. They are a 15-win team. I, I would have thought this year... 12 wins is a pass for them. Do they get into the finals with 12 wins and 11 losses? It's thereabouts. But I would think that's, that's their mark. And they're still five games short with how many games to play? What, what have we got? Eight or nine? They've played 15, 20, 23 games per team. So eight to play. They've got to win five of the last eight. They've got Port this weekend away. Then St Kilda at home. GWS away. Brisbane at home, and then the Adelaide Crows. So they don't have an easy run coming up. No, they've up. got a tough run. Yeah. No, I mean, but it's, they haven't had their best player playing for them all year. Took yeah. Miller, he's Took back this Miller. weekend. So he's back this weekend, mm-hmm. which is terrific. There's a number of guys that had some organic growth, which is terrific. Anderson's become a really really strong player. Rao's got much better than he was this year, but I think Dermot's right. There's there's still another layer for, uh, in particular, Rao to, to improve. His, his numbers are better. Um, they've picked up a really good young kid in uh, Bailey Humphrey. Bailey Humphrey, who's going to be a really and re-signed him as well. Going to be a star. And they've got They're... three kids coming out of the draft or in top ten. So yep. it's a go- it's a good job to get or a good job to keep. So yes. they've got two really good key backmen. I, I'm a big fan of Sam Collins and Charlie Ballard's been fantastic. They need a freewheeling 
intercept defender of sorts to add to that Such list. Such as. Give but, me the, well, they're oh. hoping that Mac Andrew becomes that, but... Uh, He's still young. Oh, he's very young. I mean, mm. this is this is the point that I think I talk about the list. I think they overrate their list where they're at at the present time. Dermot's very much of the same view. They're, they're, they're another couple of years, another 50 games away maybe from sort of approaching that sweet spot. I want to ask you both about Clayton Oliver and specifically the altercation he had with Selwyn Griffith, who's Melbourne's high-performance manager on the sideline. I couldn't of care less trading. about the altercation. No, but I, I agree with you, but it made news. Because well, it's everything makes new, news. It I mean, does. But it's not news. I mean, the kid's 90%. The, the high-performance manager, you're not playing to your 100%. Okay, there's a disagreement. Move on. I agree with you. So why why the hullabalah? Well, why? because there's vision of it. That's why. Yeah. And we don't see it very often. No, we don't see it at all. It's so, good vision. It's good to see that. Hey, um, there was a time in the past, <laughs> depending on the player... The player would say, "How do I? What was my findings? What what's the readings on all the meters? My pace, my time, my strength, my um, my loadings. What am I at?" And they go, "Oh, you're at ninety percent." So, oh, so I'm not at a hundred. There was a time when they go, "Yeah, ninety. You'll be playing this week." <laughs> <laughs> well, he's going to miss the next three to four 90 weeks. Ninety was a good mark. Ninety was a good mark. Clayton Oliver missed the next three to four weeks. He's um. His complex hamstring struggle continues, and it's affecting the Melbourne Football Club as well. I can remember going to the doctor and saying, how's my ankle? He goes, oh, the crack's still there. <laughs> well, can I damage it any further? No, not really. What, <laughs> what you would have to do is do something to it that would break it, even anyway. if it was good. Mm. So am I playing? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Actually reminds me of Nathan Lyon walking out to back with a... With a crook calf. That's what we did. Yeah. That's, but that's the sport. That's the, uh, that's the vocation you take on. Are you concerned about the Demons, though? They've lost three of the last five, and they're playing the Saints here tomorrow night, which is a massive game given that the Saints and Ds are fifth and sixth, respectively, at the moment. Sorry, fifth and fourth. Defensively, no. F- yep. Defence is sound. And I'm not talking about uh, the back six. I'm talking about team defence. Yep. Uh, their numbers are fantastic. They're the number one contested ball. Winning side in the back 50. They're the number one contested ball side for the mid part of the ground. They can't win the ball in the forward line. They can't kick straight. So if they're going to sort it out, they've got to get their ball movement better, which is uh, about 16th from back 50 to forward 50. Same problem as last year. Yep. Everybody focused on the midfield, on the forward line. But really, the way the ball was going in was horrific. Um, the numbers are big, though, going in. They, well, they were last week, but their accuracy was horrendous. Yeah. And... and they can't win the ball in a contest in the forward line, which staggers you, given you've got you've got Pickett down there, you've got uh, Alex Neil Bullen down there, you've got um, Spargo, who's out of form. I mean, they're, they're sort He's come of back this week. mid-range guys down have all been not at great form, really, for most of these last six or seven weeks. So Melbourne are in exactly the same position in round 17 this year as they were in 2021, where a lot of commentators said still don't trust them. And that was the word going around, can't trust them, can't trust them. Well, they won the flag 10 weeks later. Yep. So not riding off Melbourne, but something has got to change. And I think his name is Petrarca. Something's got to change in their forward line. So um, I made the comment to Duano yesterday. If you've got this type of syndrome happening in the forward half of your ground, you need to have a forward who can win the ball when it's coming in, not on his best terms. I.e., the old days, the full forward sitting in the goal square, has all the 50 to himself and he gets laced out and he kicks his four. We, we actually thought four was your starting price. If you get <laughs> held to under four... Uh, yeah, you, Lee you Matthews know. used to say that. Four is the base limit. If you want to vote, get more than really? four. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Geez, I wish I was alive in the 80s. I would have loved to see footy <laughs> like that. Yeah, so four was your... That was your staple. Yeah. yeah. So, th- But that's, that's how it used to be played. The bikes who had come up to the ball and win the ball under heat, under pressure, in traffic. You've got to have somebody who can win the ball when it's not on their terms. So the, the thing, I'll take you back to that 2017 team, raging hot favourites, Adelaide Crows against Richmond. Yep. They had a forward line that kicked the cover off it. They had Charlie Cameron. They had Tex Walker. They had McGovern up forward. They had big JJ up forward. They had uh, the Black, Eddie, Eddie Eddie Lynch, yep. who used to link up with the mm. back line. They had Eddie Betts. Magnificent players, weren't they? Mm. Which one won the ball when it wasn't on their terms? A lot of silence. Yeah, None no, of them. I can't think of any. None of them. 
You have to have at least one player who can win the ball when it's not coming in on their terms. And does Melbourne have that player? No. No, they don't. Ben Brown's a wonderful player, but he likes to get on the long oh, searching Bailey Fritch. Lead. I know he's Bailey Fritch is, is opportunistic. Yep. There's a difference, which is fantastic, but he needs opportunists need space. Tom McDonald was that type of player, but as he's got aged into his bones, he's no longer that type of player. They don't have that type of player. Bulldogs have got two now, which Amara's showing last week. They've got two. Aaron Norton wins the ball. When it's not on best terms. Jamara won it in the air last week when it wasn't on best terms. The best teams have those type of players. Melbourne don't have one. Van Roy. Van Roy. Haven't seen enough of him yet. I've seen him take a few clunks, but most of those clunks were happening when the ball was coming in fairly much yeah. to his favour. I'd love to say he's going to be that player. I like the look of him. I need more of a book of evidence. A couple of father-son debutants this weekend, Jared. Tajwo Woden for Melbourne yep. and Cooper Harvey for North Melbourne. Feels yep. like Brent Harvey retired about two and a half years ago and yeah, his son's playing. He should, and he's right. He should be still playing. <laughs> he, he had a lot of games left in him, Boomer, when he, when he hung them up. But uh, great to see father-sons. They're part and parcel of the history of the game. And it's a bonus for clubs that uh, have got them. So uh, good luck to them. I don't know too much about either of the kids, but we'll have a good look. Yeah, well, young Cooper meant to be... Uh, the numbers he's been putting up apparently are pretty good. Eight shots at goal last week. Yeah, good on him. I hope he, I he see does well. I uh, dropped down a couple of... Dropped a couple of their veterans. Goldie's gone, and uh, mm. Zebel has also been spelled. I saw that a couple of weeks ago when they ran Cal Coleman-Jones mm. in the ruck late in the game when the game was up for grabs yep. instead of Goldie. and been wonderful, Goldie. You, can I just extrapolate yep. on that? Very quickly. Yeah, yeah. So you said that the boomer had another couple yep. of years in him. Michael Tuck got asked to retire at 38 years of age <laughs> and, and 120-something days after 426 games. And it was probably right because he was probably going to be 22nd chosen in the team the next year. Yep. Within... 44 games, he'd have been in the best 10. Hawthorne's <laughs> list. He uh, should have just hung in there, played 20 reserves games, and he'd have got to 500. Derm, this is AFL Nation pre-game show, Beaumont Tiles, huge bathroom where and tile sale is on. Up next, you'll hear the call of the Western Bulldogs v Collingwood. You're listening to AFL Nation. For Elders Real Estate and Tire Power, Winter Safety Sale. 